Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology, and today we're going to take a look at Mercury's upcoming square to the planet Uranus. So this is a pretty exciting uh, aspect, and one that has a little bit of history to it. You might remember that when Mercury stationed to turn retrograde in Aquarius most recently, it was also right around the same degree that it's at now and squaring Uranus. So this is um, a transit that's coming full circle in a sense. Let's take a look at it. And we're going to break down the archetypal combination today. So here is Mercury making a square to Uranus. And we'll see that this square perfects Wednesday, February 23rd. Push it forward to uh, Thursday, February 24th. And you're going to see the two planets coming together. So it'll perfect tomorrow. And you'll be able to feel it into Friday, even Saturday, as the planet is moving just to without about three degrees away from Uranus by Sunday. And then at which point it's starting to get into a conjunction with Saturn. So, uh, but you know, this, what's so interesting about this to me, first of all, I love, you know, Mercury Uranus is a fun transit. I think there's lots of exciting combinations to get into today, but also if you look at the, um, the point at which these two planets are making their conjunction, it's a pretty interesting one. If we take this back a little bit, you're going to notice that when Mercury reached its station point, it was at about 10 degrees of Aquarius. And as it was doing so, it was almost in a square with Uranus, but it didn't reach the square, it refrained, meaning it turned retrograde. This was about the middle of January. Now it's been moving backward. So since then, <clears throat> we've seen Mercury go through a conjunction with Pluto once toward the end of January, turn station and turn direct around the beginning of February, move forward again through a conjunction with Pluto by right around the 10th of February, and then enter Aquarius again about the middle of February. And now it's coming all the way back to actually pass through the square with Uranus that it almost hit at the outset of the retrograde. So when I consider all of that, I think to myself, the one thing that this transit has behind it that's really interesting is the feeling of something that's been in the works for a while. So there's more of a history behind this aspect. And to me, that means that um, the significations or promises of this transit are just a little bit more exciting um, to consider. I mean, all transits have something good to offer, but this one has the feeling of something that almost happened, but then sort of didn't. A process has taken place. Now we're going back to the same place we started and we're, we're hitting um, that aspect that, that almost perfected at the outset of the retrograde. So if you think about things that have been in the works since the beginning of January, starting to see maybe some um, breakthroughs or uh, you know, the feeling of, of something that's been in process, reaching a, a decisive moment or something like that. And that may be just a general signification based on the timeline of this particular square to Uranus. In horary astrology, for example, when a planet is about to aspect another, but stops just short of it, refrains and turns retrograde, it often means that things are about to happen, but then they, they refrain and there's a delay and some maybe they'll get back together, you know, they get back together again later. For example, in a horror area, if someone says, will we get back together, we've broken up or we're separated, and you see that aspect refraining, you say, 
no, you're not going to get together right away. There, there's something that will temporarily continue to separate the two of you. So the refrenation will prevent the thing being asked about from perfecting. If we consider that as something that was happening around the beginning of January, and that now it's finally happening, that's where I think there's, there's just a lot of room for creative interpretation about how that could actually show up in our lives right now. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. Next, what I want to do is just take a look at some of the archetypal combinations. One of the things that Mercury and Uranus is known for is problem solving. Um, wherever there is the, the feeling of something that is impassable, intractable, an obstacle that you can't figure out how to get around or how to deal with. Mercury Uranus is a wonderful transit when it comes to being able to say, okay, I've got an idea about how to deal with this. I've, there, here's a solution to a problem. And it often appears very suddenly and unexpectedly. Have you ever had that moment where you're staring at a problem? You know, maybe you're for me, it tends to be, you know, when I have to organize something, like if I have to organize the garage, for example, and it's like a Rubik's cube, you know, where am I going to put stuff or where's the best place for this to go? You know, it's like, or packing the trunk of a car. That's another one that drives me crazy. So <laughs> it'd be so much easier if we just didn't pack as much. <laughs> Do you know how it goes when you have kids too? So you're sitting there and you're staring at a problem and you're like, I can't figure this out. This is, I'm, you're just nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, the answer appears. That is a very Mercury Uranus-like moment. And so I would not be surprised, especially given the history of this transit, if something that you've been thinking about, stuck on, even maybe unconsciously at this point, something that you've been uh, getting tripped up by, suddenly there's a, a solution, a workaround, a um, a fix for the bug in the system. Uh, I would not be surprised to see that sudden feeling of a, a problem, you know, vanishing into thin air because of a great idea that suddenly appears. The other thing you have to remember is that Mercury Uranus, for as much as it is a problem solver, tends to be a combination that also attracts problems. I mean, you can't have a transit that is all about problem solving without there also being some kind of weird attraction to problems. That's why you have to be careful because on the flip side, this transit is also about the almost the, the, the kind of rebel without a cause motif where there's a sense of looking for things to be wrong just so that you can rebelliously or defiantly um, flip the script and do something original and different. Sometimes, in other words, there's a kind of wayward, restless, distracted quality to this transit. And Mercury Uranus is, is kind of like that person who you're like, <clears throat> hey, let's have some dinner together. And the person's like, oh, so unoriginal, you know, like dinner. And you're, you're like, what, what, you know, you know, it was like that person who's always got to look at things as if they are problematic and need a brighter, more original idea or solution. I remember I had certain friends, you know, when I was in high school, and if I liked a band that was just popular on the radio, I was like, hi, I love that song by the Counting Crows. 
the counting crows, you know, <laughs> how, how trivial, you know, that's not very sensibly indie of you, you know, you just, you like, you know, you like the, the um, you like the bands that everyone likes. That's a problem. It's like, okay, it has to be so original all the time that you can never like something that's simple and easy and maybe lots of other people like. So Mercury Uranus similarly sometimes just gravitates towards problems simply so that you can revel in the, the intellectual, you know, uh, the, the, the intellectual hubris. Oh, I've got a bigger, brighter idea. So you have to be a little bit careful of that energy too. But also very similarly, Mercury Uranus is an incredibly inventive combination. But what do, you know, I think what's the phrase? Um, necessity is the mother of invention. Is that the right phrase? I hope I'm getting that right. But the gist of it is that like, of course, it makes sense that Mercury Uranus would, if, you know, Mercury Uranus always likes to have an original idea, then, and Mercury Uranus is also related to inventions, it stands to reason that Mercury Uranus will also be attracted to things that are old and outworn and um, in need of improvement or, you know, there's some necessity. Oh, I have to figure out how to do something and I have to come up with uh, a solution or I have to come up with an invention. So there, there's a strange way, especially remember Mercury's in a Saturn ruled sign co-present with Saturn, where the inventiveness of this transit goes hand in hand with the feeling of, you know, things that are old or broken or outworn or some need or necessity to invent something. And, you know, sometimes that's going to be just wonderful, the breakthroughs, the inventiveness. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, we don't always have to fix what isn't broken. And, you know, this can have such a restless sort of wayward, restless quality behind it, this transit, that um, you're trying to reinvent the wheel. You want to be careful about that. On the other hand, um, Mercury Uranus is about original thinking and original ideas that somehow move the story forward, push the plot line forward a little bit more. And that is going to come along with the clash between old ideas and the status quo and new ideas and the future. Um, Mercury Uranus can be incredibly over, what do I want to say? Like too linear, it can be incredibly linear. By that, I mean, progress only means going forward. Nothing in the past is worth anything. It's all about pushing some kind of uh, future ideal. And sometimes that is going to be similar to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's good things that have existed for a long time that are time tested and new does not always mean better. So those are the tensions you'll feel with Mercury Uranus. Sometimes you're going to notice that Mercury Uranus brings up the like playfulness and something that is groundbreakingly original and inventive and also playful. And that's one of my, perhaps my favorite aspects of this combination. It's the feeling that um, novelty and newness aren't just a matter of getting rid of the old, but also about playing on or riffing off from something old. For example, one of my favorite things that I, I get distracted by, you know, on Instagram, 
is I like watching, occasionally I like watching DJs who remix songs from my childhood with maybe songs that are more current into something really original. So also the idea of playing or riffing off from things that have been done before or things in the past to tweak them and make them new. That's one of the really interesting uh, potential synthesis that's there with, uh, with Mercury Uranus. Okay, so I am not gonna be told what to think. No way, that's a Mercury Uranus dynamic. So mental, intellectual independence. I suspect that, uh, you know, in the news and media, I'm not really paying attention most days, but in the news and media, you might, you may find that questions about rights, dignity, um, independence, um, resistance or defiance to authority, that these themes stand out. Mental independence comes along with a resistance to being told what to do or think. Defiance comes along with an exploration of what constitutes authority. So these tensions get triggered with Mercury Uranus. And the thing that I want to say is this, if we think we can make our way through life without tapping into any wisdom, any tradition, any sense of the thousands of years worth of human history and experience that's come before us, that has nothing to offer us, that we know better, that we live in a subjective bubble where only our own opinions and subjective experiences have anything to do with truth, that truth is purely personal, changing on a dime and up to me 24 seven, um, then we're lost. You know, we're lost if we can't draw any wisdom from the past, from elders, from, you know, from history, from people who know more than we do, from people who have authority in areas that we don't. Um, we're just not humble, if that's the case. We're not being real. Of course, the other extreme is true as well, which is that if we can't think for ourselves and can't, um, you know, if you can't think for yourself, then you're not ever going to have a real personal experience of any of the great ideals or truths that you're approaching or considering. It's something about, there's a, you know, guru in my tradition who said, you know, um, faith without reason is just sentimentality, but reason without faith is dry mental speculation. And so somewhere there's a balance between taking the wisdom and trusting the time-tested authority expertise of others in our lives, while at the same time being someone who questions, who pursues truth through the lens of our own personal dynamism, you know, our own experiential matrix. But we pit the two against each other sometimes, like they have nothing to do with one another. Well, I'm either a purely subjective sovereign being who makes up truth as I go, or, you know, I'm, I'm just taking someone else's word for everything. Um, James Hillman liked to say that, you know, the biggest symptom of a lack of imagination are people who can't embrace and hold contradictory truths. They see all their contradictory truths. So only one can be true, but the opposite of a great truth is often another great truth. And 
there's something to be said about defiant, original thinking, not listening, not taking someone else's authority just for the sake of it. And simultaneously, being humble enough to accept that there are people who have walked paths that we haven't and know more than we know. We can do both. And sometimes you'll be duped into thinking uh, it's one or the other when it comes to Mercury Uranus, because it brings up this transit does these tensions. I like strong, powerful words, declarations, unexpected news that excites, liberates, inspires, uh, the feeling of emancipatory thoughts, ideas that pop up and sparkle and ignite. There's a sense of, um, by the way, Mercury, Uranus, uh, thievery. Mercury, Uranus, like the fire theft of Prometheus. I'm going to steal this progress. I don't care whether it's moral or ethical, progress at all cost. Or someone trying to hold back or illegally take or steal someone else's intellectual property or belongings or um, cyber identity or something like that. Uh, and you often with a sense of there being some justification behind it. Well, I'm entitled to something. There's often, for example, some sense of nobility among thieves, right? Um, Robin Hood, I'm stealing from the rich to give to the poor, or I'm justified in taking something because of the larger ideal behind what I'm doing. A hacker who hacks because they don't like the system and can justify, you know, maybe doing real damage to other people because they're they're driven by some idealism so that kind of thing can also come up justified thievery justified acts of um what do i want to say defiance <clears throat> okay there's a general emphasis on things like electronics technology mental dexterity with this transit that you'll um you may notice people often switch cell phone providers or buy a new laptop or something like that. The need to change things up on, a, on the level of technology, um, buying a new car. So those are a few of the things that you may watch for in a more mundane way. You will see people with words and ideas clashing about what is the most original, exciting, brilliant, or smart and there will be the equal sort of Promethean fervor and zeal. It's not, it would not be surprising to be suddenly finding yourself in some fight about what is truly a liberating thought. What is truly the most um, egalitarian, supportive, humanitarian view. Um, so the, the clashing of ideals in the arena of intellectualism, that's a big one potentially for Mercury-Uranus. I want to close today just after giving you a feeling for this transit of some of the shadows and then a little bit of the I Ching. The shadows are going to be the restlessness mentally, the, um, the feeling of not being able to sit still, the uh, the need for progress at all costs, 
resistance to authority that becomes pathologically authoritarian, the justification of unethical things for the sake of a cause. Um, these are some of the shadows that I would watch for. Impatience, a good idea, but an impatient execution of the idea. Um, the I Ching hexagram that came up is modesty. And I think that this is really an interesting read about modesty. The fourth line of hexagram 15 in particular was changing. And I thought, well, what's an interesting hexagram, first of all, to get modesty. But listen to this particular changing line. I'm reading from an aggregation of different interpretations on James DeCorn's website, which I love because he has, oh, I don't know, probably six or seven or eight famous translations that he congregates on one page. So you can read lots of different well-known authors' translations of the I Ching. But he's talking about modesty here. The person maintains their modesty in the proper perspective. They do not avoid responsibilities, abuse the ruler's confidence, or conceal the subordinate's merit. And here's a quote that the author provides from Carl Jung. Modesty and humility are not signs of an inferiority complex. They are highly estimable, indeed admirable virtues and not complexes. They prove that their fortunate possessor is not a presumptuous fool, but knows their limitations and will therefore never stumble beyond the bounds of humanity, dazzled and intoxicated by their imagined greatness. Advance the work through temperate, well-considered actions without exceeding your authority. And you see, there's something about this transit that it's so dazzling and can be so right about things that it forgets that it doesn't matter if you're right, but lose your humanity, your kindness, your patience, your humility in the process. By the same token, this particular line of the I Ching also says that um, concealing something about yourself, concealing the merits of other people, trying to hide things because you think, oh, it needs to remain humble, can actually be more about show uh, than it is about actual humility. Humility sometimes means doing things that will bring some attention to you, um, but that you, you know you ought to do, and you have to bear with and deal with the awkwardness of the attention and, and the challenge, the tension of trying to remain humble despite it. That does not mean that you're saying, well, I have to remain humble and just accept this greatness. You know, That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that sometimes there's a sense in which the actions that have to be done will draw attention to you. And the challenge will be to remain humble despite it. But it would not be humble to avoid right action purely because it will draw some attention to you. Sometimes you just have to deal with it. I think that's a really interesting and diverse teaching. As well as here, we also have um, a hexagram overall that's saying it's not being humble does not mean being inferior or having an inferiority complex. I love that phrase, being humble is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. And how do we do that when, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's raining intellectual insights? How do we do that when it's raining exciting, inspiring ideals and epiphanies? 
How do we do that when we feel like we're on the brink of a breakthrough? There's something so exciting about those times. And it's always when there's excitement that we're tempted to lose our humility. But you can be excited and humble at the same time. In fact, one of the ways to prolong and actually enjoy the experience of humility and be truly satiated with um, the, the, humble, the, the humble approach is to recognize, oh, here's excitement. I'm going to make it last by, by not jumping off from it as a platform for my ego, but rather taking it slow. One of the things that, oh, if I had to put it simply, I remember um, when I was in, um, traveled when I was young, it's about 18 years old, and I traveled to Greece and Turkey with my father. It was a, like a tour we were taking of the Apostle Paul's footsteps around the Mediterranean for our church. And the food we ate on the cruise, we were on this cruise ship going from like location to location. And I remember um, the food was unbelievably good, right? And there was so much of it, but it was served in courses. And it was maybe one of the first times I had ever, I was probably 17, and I'd never really eaten like at that, that um, I hadn't had that nice of a dining experience before. And I remember um, one of my father's friends who probably had more money, you know, and had, was maybe had more of those experiences in their life. And they said to me, it's absolutely the best food, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And they said, um, the trick is with classy food and a classy dining experience to, to make it last. So move very slowly through it and um, be sure not to let on to everyone how amazing it is and you'll enjoy it even more. <laughs> and I just thought, what? I mean, first of all, as a 17-year-old, I remember initially feeling sort of embarrassed and maybe slightly accosted <laughs> just because of my ego, you know? But then I, I remember like as the trip went on and I watched other adults eating like a four course meal or what a five course meal or whatever it was. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and slowing down. I similarly, <laughs> I remember um, when I learned to like tea, you know, when I was a little bit older and I was like, I was like Ted Lasso. If you guys know Ted Lasso, he's like, this is, this tastes like garbage. <laughs> it was like, I don't know why you people drink tea. <laughs> But um, I remember learning to like things that didn't necessarily taste good, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden developing a taste for it. And I think humility is a little bit like that. We think humility is somehow the foil to excitement, but it's not. It's just, it's like learning to, you know, take some bitters after your meal, uh, you know, really good for digestion. Doesn't taste great, but it's really good for you. It's, it, there's something about this transit that suggests to me that if you don't take it along with a dose of humility, according to this I Ching reading, that you really won't actually enjoy the breakthrough as much as you could. You won't enjoy the mental, mental electricity as much as is possible. I don't know about you guys, but I love this stuff so much. Like, what would my week be? I, I just, I think some days I just go like, how fortunate am I? How lucky am I that in my lifetime, I have this heavenly language and I can sit back and reflect on the language itself. And it becomes like a prism through which I can meditate upon experience while actually experiencing it. And 
that to me is like being told that when you're a kid, you're laying out in the field with your friends, looking up at the clouds and picking out what you see in the clouds, that somehow life is actually inherently like that. And that something of something of spiritual enlightenment occurs when you get that and start doing that on the regular. And oh, by the way, are there clouds passing in the skies of our lives? Yes, there are. They're called planets, gods, archetypes. And we sit around and track them. And isn't it lovely? Isn't it profound? I just love it. I'm, I was dropping my daughter off at school this morning. Mom's gone on a retreat, her first time in six years. And we have a little altar we set up for her. We say some prayers for her and stuff like that while she's gone, hoping that she has some deep rejuvenation. And I was driving my daughter to school this morning. She said, daddy. And I said, what? And she said, you talk to the planets and stars. And she asked, she'll, this is something that comes up somewhat regularly now. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, how do they talk? I, can you hear them? And I said, well, when you make a piece of artwork at home, do you think that it has meaning or a message to it? Do you think it says something? And she thought about it for a second and she said, yeah, but I guess not with words. And I said, yeah, it doesn't say something like out loud, like I can hear it like you talking, you know, but your artwork speaks, it has meaning and there's something there that you want to communicate. And so the planets are like that too. Oh, okay. Six-year-old totally got it, you know? She totally gets it. And so here we are. Um, and uh, every day, really, if we can put remember that same kind of innocence, like the, the sky speaks, really, it talks to us. Yeah, it does. It has so much to say. Are we listening? Do we have our hearts open so that we can hear it? Because if we do, man, what a treat. What a, what a ride. In some ways, I don't even care what Mercury Uranus brings. I don't. I'm just, I'm, I'm here for it, you know? But come what may, just knowing that whatever comes will express this archetype, hopefully in a new way that I couldn't have possibly anticipated that will add to my understanding, because then it feels like a friend that I just keep getting to know, someone you just can't stop going out to tea or dinner with that you just love talking to. I'm in, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here to fall in love with this life, here to fall in love with the divine that's all throughout the cosmos and in the stars. How about you? All right, that's what I've got for today. I hope you guys have a good one and we will talk to you again tomorrow.